Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. You've probably heard the traditional marriage vows, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. But have you thought much about what they mean? We all want the positive ones, the better, the richer, and in health. But are you prepared for the not-so-positive ones? Now, a lot of things on this side of the equation can bring a marriage crashing down. Serious illness, loss of a job, loss of a child, infidelity, and more. But it is possible for a marriage not just to survive these challenges, but come out stronger. That's what we'll be talking about with my guest, authenticity advocate and leadership expert, Dr. Erica Mikulski. Thanks for coming on and talking about what most of us don't expect to happen. Sure. Glad to be here. And honestly, I need to pick more words with fewer syllables. (laughs) Some of us are having days where we need less syllables, and I know that feeling really well. Yeah, I just need to go iron my tongue, so forgive me. (laughs) So, you know, you've been married for 10 years and have children. So great. And, you know, you shared with me that you're also a pretty big fan of your marriage, but that you've seen a few lives worth of challenges in those 10 years. So can you explain? Sure. And I want to start by saying most people have seen multiple lives worth of challenges in their marriage by the end of the first year, unless they have (laughs) A lot of support and financial resources at their disposal. So in some ways, I think I'm not unique in the amount of challenge that my marriage has had the opportunity to survive. Oh, I love that opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, opportunity. I'm an aggressive optimist. So there's that. (laughs) But I think um, we have maybe had some that are are a larger magnitude than other folks have potentially experienced. And that's been, you know, a wild ride. So we um, we got married and our first before before we got married, when we started dating um, my at the time new boyfriend's father was in the final stages of life. Um uh-huh due to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. So our relationship started in an unstable place for him. Uh I lost my dad. My dad was killed when I was 21. So I had some working knowledge. My experience was a a tragedy and a trauma in its own right. Um, Uh It was unexpected. Right. So I knew what it meant to have that loss, but I didn't know what it meant to watch that play out. So we started in this very sort of, unstable and emotionally laden place of all these great feelings about this Mm -hmm. new person. That was pretty exciting. And, and all the things that that person that you were excited about was navigating in his own world. And then how I wanted to show up and support him. So then early on in our marriage, our firstborn was in the hospital um, with some, oh, we didn't even talk about this. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I'm here to just keep you on your toes. So our firstborn was in the hospital and, and navigating that any sort of challenge with a, a newborn, oh. came, she wasn't, she wasn't a newborn. She was a couple of months old, but having to, having to watch an IV be set. And actually they don't at our, the hospital where we were, they didn't even let 
us be in the room because they didn't wow. want your child. So, well, they didn't want your child to associate that pain with a parent, but okay. then there's this piece of me that's like, instead it's abandonment, like very, there were yeah. a lot of emotions at that time. So we experienced that. Um, we experienced what it's like for a household with, um, Dan was a student. He was finishing, or he was, when we got married, he was finishing a master's. When we started having babies, he was finishing a PhD. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a doctoral dissertation pregnant with the first child and defended <laughs> pregnant with the second child. Oh, so just a lot of, yeah, a lot of stressors. stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of stress. Um, we had our children very close together. That was an intentional choice. Um, so, so being very pregnant and having a toddler is its own kind of stress. for uh-huh. someone. And at the time that I was very pregnant and trying to roll, I, I like to say I was running after a toddler, but if we're all being honest, I was like rolling after. <laughs> um, we were navigating the fact that Dan was just tired, tired in ways that, that mirrored and actually were worse than our toddler. Uh-huh. And so the frustration that I have at that time of I'm my second born was, was a, a 10 pound baby. So I'm growing this giant human uh-huh. and I'm sitting on the floor in our tiny condo trying to get ibuprofen into a teething toddler. Baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Toddler. Mm-hmm. And my person that I picked can't seemed to get it in my opinion at the time. And I can mm-hmm. reflect say I had a lot of emotions that were misplaced. Right. Um, can't seem to get it together enough to help me because he's just too tired and can't get good sleep. Mm-hmm. And good sleep is probably the secret to a healthy marriage. If I'm being really honest, yeah, it's, certainly, it it's certainly underestimated. Mm-hmm. Correct. So it is a foundation for a lot of things. So there were a lot of frustrations going into the arrival of our second child at mm-hmm. that time, because I knew that the parenting was going to fall on me and it had already fallen on me. And just so Which is I felt, typical, I felt a lot of things and, mm-hmm. and we hadn't planned for that. When we, <laughs> when we had the first child, it was very shared. And I felt like I was allowed to exist as a human, not just as the caregiver of this new arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after our second was born. Um, well, not shortly, three and a half months after our second child was born, we found ourselves Sitting in a hospital room with an oncologist who said, I don't know what your plans are tomorrow were for tomorrow. Oh, but gosh. now that you know. <sighs> and we went into we had a three and a half month old and a 21 month old or a 20 month old. And we went into life of I didn't even know emergency chemo was a thing, but it is. And I've now experienced it. <gasps> So, so he looked at me and, and said, you have children, right? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Babies. And he said, uh, I need you to be mentally prepared to do this alone. Do that. Wow. Alone. So that happened and we've been married for like 12 whole minutes. I, <laughs> prior, to, prior to this challenge, I had joked with Dan that I'd been pregnant or, or short-term postpartum more than I hadn't during the early stages of a marriage, which certainly has its own Challenges. implications on the mm-hmm. expectations of marriage and all those things. So, so then all of a sudden it was like, all those jokes didn't, didn't matter anymore. And, right. and for a split second, there were no jokes. That must but, have been so incredibly terrifying. It, I mean, it was the same cancer that his dad died from. Sure. Oh. He started dating. So it was a very heavy, 
diagnosis in our household. And, um, and yeah. the, the reality is you can't pretend that things aren't heavy when they're heavy, right? Like, and, and we try to do that with emotions in the physical sense, you, you run into the inability to continue pretending something's not heavy, right? Like if you're right. carrying a, a physical load, a literal physical load, you, you can't pretend after a certain point, but right. we as humans try to do this pretending so much. And Dan and I, by that point had already ridden through so many different things. We'd had job changes for me, career changes for Dan in our marriage. He thought he was going to med school and then decided to do research. We've done all these things that for other people in other marriages would have been the highest level of stress. Right. Um, and for us, they just weren't all of a sudden, but we had figured out through all these other high stress pieces mm-hmm. that we were each other's safest place. And I say that because I think some people are in relationships, marriages or not, where they're not sure their partner is their safest place. Right. And, and I knew that I knew Dan was my safest place and, and he knew I was his. And we were really honest about what conversations we could and couldn't have and when we could and couldn't have them. So the jokes disappeared for just a split second and then they were back. Right. I mean, honestly, they were back so fast because that's who we are as humans. And the biggest thing for us in our marriage is that we picked each other and we are not interested in life having control over how we show up to experience it because we picked each other as who we were and are continuing to evolve into being. Well, and I love that. And, you know, but so how did you guys, did you guys know this before you got married or was it a function of a lot of the things that happened because it's like, you know, you cram so much into those first couple of years that for most of us, I mean, you know, it's like, because, you know, I was the same way when my husband and I met, he was in grad school. I went back to grad school. You know, we, we had a child while he was still, I think he was a postdoc. So, I mean, I, I get some of this, but ours was over like the span of seven, eight years. And you're talking about like (laughs) clubbed up together. So, how did you, how did you guys decide that, that you were, that you were safe with each other, that this, that, that he was your safe space, you were his safe space? Well, part of it is that we were a little bit older, mm-hmm. not that much older, but um, Dan is younger than me. We met and I had already, I think in part because I was so ambitious professionally. I didn't have a lot of free time. So the idea of dating for the fun of it has honestly never been on my radar. I did not date socially or casually for fun. Uh Once it was clear to me, something didn't have a direction. I was, I was done with that and have always been that, you know, had always been that way. So, um, I will say that we just on our first date, even, had honest conversation that wasn't what's your favorite color. Although I did ask him his favorite color before our first date because I brought him bubbles in a multicolored container. It's a long right. story. Uh, <laughs> but I, so I didn't. I did. I joke a lot that we didn't spend a lot of energy on the what's your favorite color. What's your favorite movie? Um, uh-huh. But I did, I did know his favorite color coming out of the gate. Um, but it was for me the our very first date was canceled last minute. He was in the ICU with his dad. Oh. And he, I was driving back from being out of town and he, um, 
sent me a text message because he couldn't make phone calls in the ICU. Right. And it was at the time where if the text message was more than 120 characters, it would kind of beep or right. blip. And so I was driving home. I was getting this multi-round beep. And I thought this guy so- is just like every other guy. Because <laughs> I had sent him a message when I was at the place that we, the, the distance that we had agreed on. I was driving back from, to St. Louis from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh-huh. And I hadn't heard anything. And I thought, okay, this is why I hate dating. This is why I will uh-huh. just Right before Dan and I met um, earlier that month, I had publicly declared that I wasn't going to date until after I finished my doctorate because I was too busy. Right. Um, Which is how it works. Right. So anyhow, I get this message explaining that he can't go on our date, that he has to cancel our date. Um, But explaining that he was in the ICU with his dad. Um, And then later that night, he called me to apologize And so it was this shift of, you aren't just a text message recipient type of human. Uh You are, you are worth a phone call. And I am a person who makes those phone calls. So Uh before we'd ever had our first actual date, um, we met on a crowded street and bumped into each other. But before we'd had our first actual date, he had said to me, you are worth the effort it takes to be present in your life. Wow. Yeah. That's a big statement. Right. Yeah. And we talked for over an hour and, <laughs> and I said, I know I said, well, you, he, he said, I just want to call and apologize. And I said, will you apologize in the text message? And right. he said, that doesn't count. And, um, that, that was a message to me, right. That uh-huh. was something. So, um, but we were a little bit older and I am very efficient with my time. Uh-huh. So by the end of our second date, I was pretty much invested. And on our third date, I issued my non-negotiable. So there you go. Right. Um, and right. The, the running joke is by the end of our second date, I was pretty sure this was the, the deal. Mm-hmm. And he, he took until the end of the third date. So he is a little slow in the other <laughs> around anyway. Well, I mean, and it's interesting that you say this because, you know, it, it, as you're talking, I'm going, oh my gosh, our lives are parallel because I knew I had met my husband um, once he was a friend of my, he was a, he was the best friend of my sister's hus- first husband. And, um, we met and I liked him. And then we met again six months later. Um, and if he had proposed to me the day after that second meeting, I would have said yes, because oh, it was, yeah. it, it was that same thing. It was that, it was that feeling of absolute safety of that. Here's somebody that I can relate to. You know, and, and so when people say, you know, how long does it take? It's like, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. You know, Correct. Course, you know, and, and, and my husband almost proposed after a month. He actually waited another two months, you know, so three months after we're together, you know, and, and you know, so it, it is that ability to be yourself. I think that people can, you know, and, and again, I'm nowhere near as efficient with my time as you are with yours, but, <laughs> but I was actually had gotten to the point in my life where I'm not interested in the, you know, it's like, if it's not going anywhere, I'm done. So I, I, I hear that. And, and I hear that that has shaped how you guys have moved forward. Is that a correct? Sure. Yeah. And in the questions and the conversations we were having in some regard were heavy or deep because of what was happening with his dad. Although mm-hmm. I, I, having gone through that in my own life said to him, Hey, I don't want you to think that I'm not aware of what's happening and emotionally invested in supporting you, but I don't know how many times a day you have to talk about it. And I hit a wall when my dad was killed every, the first time everyone saw me after finding that information out, they wanted to talk about it. So I said, I will never bring it up. 
uh-huh. but I will always be available if you want to. Ah. And so in the very beginning, I, I showed up as myself, how I, how I choose to support people. And that was something he connected with. And then we moved through any number of other things. And I was figuring out leaving my job. And that is very stressful. I had, was at my first job out of grad school and had an opportunity to do something else. And just talking through that and being honest about what my fears were and not questioning, not questioning him as the recipient of something that might be a bizarre thought or question. (laughs) Right. We all have moments of less than optimal thought processes. Mm, Yes. And sometimes we just need to say a thing out loud. And as soon as we hear it, we realize either it's an inaccurate thought or, you know, that we knew the right answer, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it sounds, but it sounds like there was a safe space. Yeah. I didn't worry about yeah. having those out loud thoughts that might be um, <laughs> not as intelligent as I would, would want. I never felt the need to be performative in his presence. Oh, and that is such a gift. So I just want to let people know that this is happily ever after is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries and I'm talking with authenticity advocate and leadership expert, got it out that time, Dr. Erica Mikulski about how to face the challenges that are inevitable in a long-term relationship. Now, you might not have had to deal with a life-threatening illness, but even some of the most positive aspects of marriage, like having children, can create challenges, as Erica has shared. And if you have run up against something you're struggling to resolve, I can help. So please don't wait and let things fester. Take a moment and get in touch today to schedule your free, no obligation, five-star relationship discovery call. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can reach me by email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, no E, thank you, mom, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N as in Nancy, C as in charlie.com. And now I want to get back to talking with Erica about how to survive or thrive under what are can be very challenging situations. And, you know, my personal belief is that marriage is 100-100, but acknowledge that sometimes one person carries a little bit more of the load. And Erica, you stated that can mean it's actually 100-0. So first off, what does this mean? And how can a a couple or one of the partners by themselves recognize this? So you can't decide that you want to be the zero because you don't want to do the work. Let's be clear. Right. 100 yes. zero is usually inflicted upon the pair rather than um, a, de- a decision that someone makes. But when Dan was in treatment, for example, mm-hmm. his sole purpose was not dying. Right. Right. Like that was the goal was to just keep living. Right. And in that, in that time, the idea, and he was amazing. I will say that he can, he finished his PhD early because he was busy doing that. He had nothing better to do than research, which sounds very <laughs> nerdy. We're very nerdy human beings. I'm, I, we are who we are, but you know, in that time, parenting 
was something he wanted to do to the best of his ability. But if I had said this is going to be a 50-50 split or a 100-100 split, I would have gone to bed disappointed every day. Mm-hmm. Because some days he thought he could do certain things and couldn't. Right. And the truth of the matter is, um, six years later, six years post remission. Um, so we are thrilled about that. He is uh-huh. in remission and has been for six years. Yay! Uh, life after chemo is not smooth. Uh-uh. And so even now, some days he has a plan and then that is impacted. We have recently been visiting specialists because his primary tumor lived in his T11 vertebrae and there's compromised stuff in his C3 and C4 and maybe C2, all these things. So right. his spine is, is a wreck and he's 35. When you're 35 and a parent of elementary schoolers, you have all these plans and things you want to do. And right. last night he was doing tricks on the playground at down in the neighborhood playground, but tomorrow he might not be able to do that. Uh-huh. And so for us, I think one of the things about the 110 is that can change from moment to moment. Both of us show up with the intent to be 100, 100. Right. And we live in a land of grace for when that shifts in an instant. Well, and, and it's interesting because when I talk about the 100, 100, it is based on my 100 today may not be my 100 sure. tomorrow, but sure. it's the intention of of bringing my best self. And, and again, that can be, you know, that can be limited by how I'm feeling. You talked about sleep earlier. I remember when, you know, many, when my kids were younger and I hadn't slept well, I would go, mom got three hours of sleep last night, proceed with caution. I do not have the patience level that I would like to have. Yeah. You know, and so it, it is about that honesty of being able to say, and I love that you talked about, you know, that if you'd had these expectations, you would have been disappointed because I think those are the gremlins of relationships sure. that, you know, we want it to be a certain way. And then when it isn't that way, how can we accept this? So is, is there anything that that you guys have done other than just being what sounds like very mature people, <laughs> very well adjusted you know, people. It may not work for everyone, but it works for us. That's but, how but we how, you know how how they how they can deal with you know because I because I can imagine that he's disappointed when he wants to do things with you or the children and he can't because his body won't let him. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's like literally he cannot. And so how do you guys accept these, these disappointments? Cause I think that's one of the big challenges. Well, I think one of the things that's really important to acknowledge is though I did not have cancer, mm-hmm. I also have days where mm-hmm. I am not capable of doing the thing that I set out to do. And we show up, you know, sometimes he, so he has an hour long commute and I work for myself. I run my own company and I work from home And sometimes by the time he walks in the door, I will say to him, I am not capable of any more decisions. Mm -hmm. I am so exhausted that if you give me specific instructions, I will help with dinner, but I can't think like Mm -hmm. I can't, I've reached my limit of thinking (laughs) and I don't want to be so checked out later. So, I mean, but but I will, I will verbalize that. So the secret is if I can give you all a secret from the Mikowski marriage, it is say the things, Mm -hmm. say the things without fear. And if you don't think you can say the things without fear, then you need to call Leslie. Cause that's a different conversation. <laughs> right. Right. But, but I fearlessly admit where I am in my day. Okay. I 
fearlessly exist as myself in my marriage. Mm -hmm. And that, that means when we, when he was in chemo, we went in costume because that's who we are as people. And we had themes and costumes and food was involved and all the things, because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, Never to the disruption of other people's process, but for our own selves, we had a thing when we moved, we now live in Colorado. When we moved here for Dan's postdoc, he's younger than me. I left a position as a senior administrator on a university campus, the youngest mm-hmm. in the history of that institution. And I moved and reset everything. Right. So, so I didn't, I didn't have a life-threatening illness, but my entire career was turned upside down and it made sense for Dan's career trajectory. And I have zero regrets about it. Right. But, but it was a challenge. Times, yeah. There were times during that where I was not able to do and be who I would have liked to be. I can remember sitting in our rental house at the time on the floor in the closet, just sobbing, feeling like I had no, no value. And when you feel like you have no value, it's really hard to parent. It's really hard to be a spouse. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do all those things. But the other piece for me, you know, and Dan, Dan never made me feel guilty, I guess is the point of that. Dan never made me feel guilty that I was having the day that I was having. He never, he never pointed a finger at me about how my existence was showing was, was happening in that, in that moment or how I was existing. But the other thing for me is he's an only child. And and after we figured out we were going to be in Colorado, I flew to St. Louis and and helped move his mother-in-law here. So I have a mother-in-law that lives in my town. Uh And oftentimes people say, Oh, it's probably great that you get the occasional date night. That is true. Asterisk. Um, (laughs) Those date night. Well, I say that because this is probably not going where you think I say that because those date nights for me and Dan, when our children have slumber parties at my mother-in-law's have nothing to do with our marriage. They have everything to do with the fact that my children get to build a relationship with their grandma that lives Uh in their town. And they have these sacred components. And my younger daughter is so proud that she can eat nine pancakes at grandma's house and, you know, all those things and (laughs) the walks that they take. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they are there, Um, Dan and I usually just get grocery store takeout. Like we don't do fancy things because sometimes we do truthfully, sometimes we do, but on on occasion, um, we do that. Most of the time we just continue to exist because I will tell you in our house, after our children go to bed, every night is date night in my marriage. Oh, I love that. So we don't need to send our children to a slumber party to have Mm -hmm. connection points Mm -hmm. because we have them. And based on the day that we've had, sometimes one of us will say, Hey, I need, um, food network, (laughs) something that doesn't require a lot of thought to watch. Uh So we watch a lot of cooking competitions or, or, um, you know, what kind of day we're having, um, we'll dictate what we watch together. And sometimes we have work to do and we will, we will sit and work together but it is still our time and we will talk about different things. And we have, I've shared with you in our earlier conversation, we have marriage book club, we share mm-hmm. audio books and we have conversations about what we've been reading together and doing all these things. Every day has a date component to it in my marriage mm-hmm. because I have been blessed with two children and I do not take that lightly or for granted, but I chose to build my life with Dan uh-huh. and in, you know, there's this narrative of choosing, you choose that person every day. Right. We don't just choose each other every day. We date each other every day, but not in an elaborate and extravagant social right. media kind of way in a, 
I'm choosing to be so present with you that you're the focus of my attention kind of way. And, and doing that during chemo meant that the conversations were different, or sometimes we were laughing or sometimes we were whatever doing that during high stress relocation where finances were upended means certain things, but choosing not only to be present, but to be present with love Uh. every day is how we have continued to thrive in the face of all of the things that could have crushed us along the way. Well, and, you know, I hear that and it's just like, you know, it's like, yes, this is the way it needs to happen. And, you know, in, in so many people, one of the things that I hear a lot when I talk to people about dating their partners, spending, you know, 20 minutes uninterrupted every day with their partners. And they, you know, the answer I get back is, well, there's no time. And I'm going, stop it. Because as you just said, it's about choosing to make my partner, my relationship, my family, the benefit of the time that we do have. So is that like an accurate description of what I'm hearing from you? Yeah. And, and there, sometimes we sneak dating moments into family events. And what that looks like for me is, for example, last night after dinner, We live less than half a mile from our kids' elementary school. So we walked the dog down to the elementary school while my two children were off gallivanting on the playground, doing all the things. Right. And Dan and I were sitting on a swing set, just existing and being present together. And he was telling me about his workday and I was choosing to listen. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a date. Dates don't have to cost yeah. a million dollars. Well, they I really mean, don't. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and, and I, I, I talk with people and it's like, they, they think they have to do these big extravagant things and big extravagant things are nice, but your marriage isn't going to survive on it. It's the day to day things. And you're just, you're just reiterating this. So thank you. You're it's the day to day connections that we intentionally make you know, that, that is what keeps us together. And I don't know, you know, it sounds as if the two of you probably would have done this anyway, just because of the way that you approach life. But I think it, it very well may be what has helped you to stay afloat during these you know, times that could, that could, that tank other relationships. Yeah. I mean, life is hard. life is hard and I don't understand the decision to make it harder on yourself (laughs) but I watch people do this in and out all the time so we joke around here that sometimes life gets lifey yeah oh I love it (laughs) and when life gets lifey um you know I laugh a lot that as very high educate highly educated and and focused individuals who both do research that I say words like lifey, which isn't even a real word, Um, (laughs) but here we are. Um, Hello audience. I am a regular human who also went to school for a super long time. Um, When life gets lifey, if the person sitting next to you is still interested in being present in the middle of the mess, honor that and express gratitude. And sometimes even the middle of a meltdown, I will say to Dan, because I have meltdowns, we all have meltdowns, life is lifey. So in the middle of a meltdown, I will look at Dan and I will say, thanks for letting me do this right now. Uh, and, and he always, and he says the same to me. And I always right. say, you don't need my permission. And of course, and you know, we do this thing. And, right. but, but the reality of it is 
there are a lot of places where I couldn't have a meltdown. I can count on one hand. I truly can count on one hand, the people I would willingly have a meltdown in front of. Um, And Dan is the thumb, right? He's the first one. Right. And, and I am his thumb in his meltdown list. And that's, that's so important. But also we, we thank each other. If I showed you my text message exchanges from Dan, Hey, thanks for this last night. Hey, thanks for doing the dishes. Hey, thanks for this. Uh Um, We just, we are gratitude oriented human beings. And I am grateful that I get to be a part of Dan's experience. And it's funny because you started this out talking about vows. Uh And when we got married, we wrote our own vows. And when we got married, when I was figuring out what marriage is and and Uh that sort of thing. And Dan was the longest relationship I'd ever been in. And it didn't take him very long to clear that hurdle. Um, (laughs) We we cleared that hurdle pretty quickly. Uh So in our vows, I said things like, in your eyes, I see my future. Uh And in your, you know, everything was I centered, as I said, my vows. And we renewed our vows at the five-year mark. And by the five-year mark, we had two humans and we were post-chemo and life was wild and we'd relocated. And so by the five-year mark, we actually had experienced a lot of these Uh stressors that I still talk about. And when we renewed our vows um, in this tiny chapel in Western New York, um, I openly admitted that I was wrong in my initial vows. Uh. Because nothing was mine. Everything was ours. Ah. And that our future was together and, and our strength was together. Um, It wasn't about my strength in his arms. It was about our strength in our ability to, to show up for each other. And so I, you know, in front of the pastor who married us and, and with sort of a, la- a laugh, I said, it turns out I was wrong. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And that's another thing. I, I think the greatest gift you can give a person you love is the willingness to admit when you are wrong and not ask for justification or spend a bunch of time contextualizing why you were wrong, but start Just, with, I, I was know. wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's, that's life. And so this is, and Eric, I could continue to talk to you about this, but I think this is a perfect place to wrap it up because, you know, that, you know, it is about creating this, this life together. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you have any information that you would like to share with the audience, a website, blog post, well, sure. whatever, so that they can follow your journey because it truly, I mean, it truly is incredible, but you guys seem to have gotten on the right path to it. <laughs> we, we forged our own and, and that's been the best part. I, I, uh, I'm a passionate advocate for authenticity. My entire career is rooted in that. And so that is why my marriage is what it is and why my life is what it is. If you are interested in what it looks like to live with an aggressive lens of authenticity, um, you can find me on social media, uh, on Instagram. I am at consultant Barbie. We are not here to talk about why I think Barbie is a great advocate for authenticity, but just the short version is she went to space in pink glitter and nobody cared. So (laughs) if you can go to space in pink glitter, you can do just about anything. So at consultant Barbie is where I am on Instagram. You can learn about the work that I do. You can find my website there too. Um, 
but the, the, the life that I live mirrors what we've talked about today, which is aggressively authentic and unapologetically existing as myself so that when life gets hard, I know how to handle it. And that's wonderful. So what I want you guys to take away, if you haven't already, is that marriage is a journey with lots of twists and turns, ups and downs. And recognizing and accepting this is the first step. And then, as Erica said, creating an effective process to deal with the more challenging times would actually be the second. So the sooner that you do this, the easier and more successful your marriage will be, regardless of what's happening from the outside world. And hopefully one of the things that you will keep doing is to keep listening to my show and wonderful guests like Erica. And until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.